We're taking our Bibles and we're headed over to Matthew chapter 26. Matthew chapter 26. While you're turning, let me see how quick you are this morning. Name something kids lose a lot. What's that? Retainers. <laughs> it's not up there, but that's homework, patience, their teeth. Okay. What else you got? What's that? Toys. Here's what they said. Homework assignments, track of time, money, self-control, socks, and shoes, teeth, and number one was their toys. Name a plant you might grow in your garden. Tomatoes are going to be there, I think. Potatoes. Okay. Green beans. Onions. Okay, here's what they said. Onions, peppers, green beans, pickles, cucumbers, lettuce, carrots, tomatoes, bonus, weeds. Okay, give yourself extra points. Okay. Some of us, that's what we grow more than anything else. Name something you climb. Tree, stairs. Ladder, mountain. Oh, I think you got them all. Stairs, rope, ladder, tree, mountain. We're talking about mountain experience this morning. We're in Matthew 26. It's not a huge mountain experience, but it's where Jesus Christ is taking the disciples that goes down through the valley and up to the to Garden of Gethsemane, and he's going to be dealing with his disciples in Matthew chapter 26. Before we read it, I want to give you a real test, a real quiz. This is taken from 1960s, and this is 15 questions you would have to answer before you could vote, okay? Don't, don't give the answers out loud, okay? Just keep the answers written down or in your mind. I'm going to give you the questions, then we'll go back and give the answers and see how you would do, okay, if you had the right to vote. Here we go. The actual questions. A person appointed to the Supreme Court is appointed for what length of a term? Number two. When the Constitution was originally approved, how many states had to ratify it for it to be, come into effect? Number three, okay, prior to the adoption of the Constitution, the organization of the states was known as a what? Number four, of the original 13 states, the one with the largest representation in the first Congress was which one of those 13? Okay, let me go on. Number five, name the two things states are specifically forbidden to do per the Constitution. Think on it. Okay, number six, what officer is designated to be the president of the Senate per the Constitution? Number seven, which of the following is guaranteed by the Constitution? We'll come back to that, okay? To serve as president, at least how old? If no candidate for president receives the majority of the Electoral College, who decides who becomes president? Number 10, the Electoral College votes for president. When they vote, uh, when the votes are counted, they have to be in the presence of who? Number 11, the president is not allowed to use his power to pardon in what situation? He cannot pardon. Number 12, who has the power to declare war? Who presides over the trial to impeach a president? U.S. Senator elected in November general election assumes his office on what day? And then the president assumes on which day? By the way, these are 15 of 68 questions. These are just 15. Okay, let's see how you would do. Okay, a person appointed to the U.S. Supreme Court is appointed for... Okay, yeah, it says the rest of their natural life. When the Constitution was approved, how many states had to ratify it? Not 13. 
Okay, it was nine. Nine and 13. Prior to the adoption of the Constitution, the states were called a what? A confederation. Very good. Of the original 13 states, which one had the largest representation in the first Congress? It was Virginia. Okay, some of you aren't voting. Name the two things the states are specifically forbidden to do. Okay, print money is one. Okay, make a treaty is another. Okay, more of you aren't voting. What officer is designated to be the president of the Senate? Okay, it's the vice president. Of those following, which ones are guaranteed? Just one of them. The trial by jury, yeah, trial by jury. To serve as president, a person has to be how old? 35, very good. If no candidate receives the majority, who, de who decides president? It's, it's a group, not the Senate. It's the House, the House of Representatives. The Electoral College votes for president, they must be counted before which peoples? The Senate and the House of Representatives, yes. The president is not, not allowed to pardon anybody for what situation? Not treason. Cases of impeachment. Cases of impeachment. Okay. Who has the power to declare war? Congress. Who presides over a trial when they impeach a president? Who, who's, the, who's the judge? The Supreme Court, the Chief Justice. U.S. Senator is the, who's elected. His office begins on what day? January 3rd or 4th. Do you know why there's a possibility of a difference? If it's on a Sunday. If it's a Sunday. The president gets his office on the 20th or 21st, depending upon, again, it's a Sunday. Okay, those are 15 of 68. Can you imagine having, and, and I picked out the less hard ones out of that thing. Now, would, I use that as an illustration that in our country, people try to keep people from voting, okay? And they did a very good job at it, okay, keeping people from voting. But there's one thing that we all have the right to do that nobody can keep us from, and that is that idea of you and I being able to pray to the Lord. Now, Jesus is going to be talking with his disciples in the Garden of Gethsemane. He's going to be dealing with them, and he's going to be dealing with his own trials. You know the whole setting. You know that this is right after the Last Supper. He goes to the Garden. When he's done praying in the Garden, what happens to Jesus? What happens at the end of the time of that? Okay, he's arrested, and then he's taken to his multiple illegal trials, and eventually on Friday, he ends up being crucified and dying before the end of the day. So let's pick up in Matthew 26, and let's just get the, the sense, and then we'll make some observations. And again, on the back side, what I did on your paper is sometimes when you do your Bible study, taking all the parallel passages and putting them there, that helps when you're doing a, uh, a study about the whole situation and want to get all the different input or insights and how they wrote it. But I'm dealing with Matthew for the most part. We'll be jumping around. In Matthew 26, we start off where it says, and when they, verse 30, when they had sung a hymn, they went out into the Mount of Olives. Then said Jesus unto them, all you shall be offended because of me this night, for it is written, I will smite the shepherd and the sheep of the flock shall be scattered abroad. But after I am 
am risen again, I will go before you into Galilee. Peter answered and said unto him, Though all men shall be offended because of you, because of thee, um, yet I will never be offended. Jesus said, Verily I say unto you, that this night before the cock crow, you shall deny me thrice or three times. Peter said unto him, Though I should die with you, yet will I not deny you. Likewise they all said. Then comes Jesus with them to the place called Gethsemane, and he said to the disciples, Sit ye here while I go and pray yonder. He took with him Peter and two sons of Zebedee and began to be sorrowful and very heavy. Then said he unto them, My soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even unto death. Tarry ye here and watch with me. He went a little further, fell on his face, prayed, saying, O my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you wilt. And he comes to the disciples, and he finds them asleep, and said unto Peter, What could ye not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that ye enter not into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. He went away again the second time, prayed, saying, O my father, if this cup may not pass away from me, except I drink it, your will be done. He came and found them asleep again, for their eyes were heavy. He left them and went away again and prayed the third time, saying the same words. Then comes he to his disciples and saith unto them, Sleep on now, take your rest. Behold, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is betrayed unto the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. Behold, he is at hand that doth betray me. And while he yet speak, lo, Judas, one of the twelve, came with him, a great multitude with swords and staves from the chief priests and the elders. So what I wanted to do just for just for a simple study this morning is just to get us to compare Jesus and the disciples and how they prayed. What was the characteristic of the disciples? What was the characteristic of Jesus? And bottom line is, which one do we want to be more like? Well, we already know the answer. We all want to say we want to be more like who when it comes to prayer? We want to be like the Lord. Okay, now why is that? So if we just do some little bit comparisons, let's make some observations. Jesus was consistent and persistent in his prayer life. The reason I say that is this, okay? Jesus encouraged prayer over and over again. Can you think of times when he told the disciples, you should pray? Can you think of any, any situations? situations besides this one okay the lord's prayer okay we call it the lord's prayer you you more accurately call it the disciples prayer okay where he says when you pray pray in this fashion our father which art in heaven okay any other time that he encouraged them to pray can you think of it okay well yeah because they couldn't do it and then what does he say to them when they say why couldn't we do it this can only happen by prayer and fasting. Okay, several different passages. This is the one that you mentioned about the, our Father. And he makes comments, okay, about praying. He even speaks a parable unto them. Remember he t- talks about the parable about the man, the neighbor who just kept on knocking, 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 even though it was the middle of the night, okay? And he talks about the widow who kept on going to the the judge, okay, all about that idea of praying. Uh, and he tells them here to be praying. Now, with that in mind, my point is this. Jesus not only preached on prayer, he practiced it. Okay, to me, this is extremely challenging. It's easy to talk about, but it needs to be done. So he's persistent, he's consistent in preaching it and practicing it. Now, in this text, you know, is it clear that he's persistent in prayer? Yes, no? Okay, how do you get that? How do you get what we just read? 
Okay, he's praying different times, okay? And he's praying for an extended period that he's doing it. Uh, we know that he prayed in the past, that he, he prayed for, at times, all night. He prayed by himself. He prayed during the wilderness. He went on the mountain, okay? And here he's going he's gonna to pray, as he was wont to do. He gets, goes to Gethsemane, and he has time in prayer. What are the 11? Are they consistent and persistent? Okay, and we know that because... They fall asleep. Okay, they, they do what we do, okay? They uh, have good intentions, but he has to come back and he has to say, hey, couldn't you watch just one hour? Okay, and he has to say it again and again and again, and still they don't do it. Something else that stands out. Jesus handled his personal trials with prayer. This is challenging, because usually when we get a personal trial, you have to ask yourself, what's your first reaction? What's your, who's the first person you call? Who do you run to? Okay, we should be running to the Lord. We know that. So, Jesus, my question to you is, how do you know this is a difficult time for the Lord? And it was. It's, it's a very difficult. How do you know that? Okay, he makes the comment, my soul is what? Very sorrowful. Okay. Any other things that indicate to you? It might not just be what we read, but the other text. What else indicates this was a really stressful time for him? What's that? That sweat drops of blood, okay, indicating sorrow, uh, a trial. Any other things? Okay. Okay. Just the, the fact that he's praying repeatedly for an extended period of time. Larry? Okay, he knows ahead of time what's happening. In fact, we'll add some of the things. Okay, you already know this. Remember, we talked about last week. What did the Jews want to do with Jesus after Lazarus was raised? Okay, they want to kill him. Okay, they're setting up. They want to kill him. They've, they want to get, destroy him. Okay, and we know that, as you said, now I'm going just two days or so earlier, Jesus makes this statement. He says, my soul is troubled. What shall I say, Father? The same, this is the hour I came. Uh, basically, he's being encouraged not to follow through, and he's saying, this is why I'm here. He knows ahead of time, and it's already, there's stress like a, two days beforehand. And now it increases as, as he said, Mike, now it's, uh, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful. And so he says those comments, even unto death, my soul is sorrowful, even unto death. And he tells them, it, it's, like, it's like a situation that you've read about. You've heard about this guy. When he went up into the uh, Wisehorn of the Alps, they went up and the wind was blowing and it was storming and his guide got him up there. And when they got to the top, it was so strong, they got on the side where the wind wasn't as strong. And this Sir Adam, he, our uh, Smith, he jumped up to, we made it to the top, and the wind almost blew him right over. His guy grabs him and pulls him down and makes this statement that he wrote about later and used in messages that he preached himself. His guide said to him, the only safe place up here is on your knees. Okay, isn't that true of life? The safe place is on our knees. So here you have Jesus Christ, he's going he's gonna to be praying. Now, how do you know this is difficult for the 11? I'm making the assumption, okay. Do you think it was difficult for the... Was this a tough evening for the 11? It was. Okay, how do you... Think through the whole evening. What was difficult for the 11? 
Um, let's start here. Okay, okay, they have to, and, and in the past, when they heard that Jesus was going to die, did they respond well? No, in fact, what does Peter say to one time when Jesus said to him, I'm going to Jerusalem, I'm going to die? Yeah, and then Jesus has to respond. Okay, okay, uh, somebody else, somebody was going to comment. They were confused. Okay. Okay, just by the fact of going at the end of the story, Peter doesn't, that, that's a great way to put it. Peter didn't get the whole picture because at the end of this time when the soldiers come, what does Peter do? He attacks to defend, okay? Can you think of any reasons why they would be upset beyond that Jesus says, I'm going to be leaving? Is there anything additional? And what was their reaction? Okay, yeah. And remember how Peter responds? Though everybody else could do it, he has great confidence in the other ten. Okay. Though everybody else can do it, yet, and I will even, we read it here in Matthew, I will even do what did he say? I'll die with you. Okay. But remember what we read in Matthew just moments ago? Who else said that? All of them did. Okay. So they're, they're stressed. They're stressed as to, you know, told about the betrayal, and they all said we're not going to deny. In fact, you read in this passage that they see Jesus, they, well, they know it, they see Jesus sorrowful and very heavy. Does it, put yourself in this situation, okay? This is the guy that you have dedicated your last couple of years of life to. You, you, you're loyal to him. You'll die with him, and you see him upset. If somebody close to you is upset, does that affect you? Okay, okay. There's another text in Luke 22, and it might be on the flip side of your paper. It's an interesting phrase how Luke describes these guys. Luke 22, verse 45, okay? Did I even put that extended passage there? And when he rose up in prayer and was come to his disciples, he found them doing what? Yeah, add the next, the, the, the whole phrase. Found them sleeping for the sorrow. What does that mean? Let me, let me rephrase this. Okay. Yeah, okay. There, it, it can be that mental exhaustion that has just wiped you out. You ever been there? You ever been there so drained? You just... Uh, have you ever looked at sleep as an escape from the reality of the pressures of life? Yes? No? You can't sleep but in a way, I'm glad I went to sleep because I could forget about what I'm, what I'm living. And when I wake up, guess what? It's still there, okay? And so it describes very clearly that these guys went to sleep out of sorrow, whether it be exhaustion or even escape, okay? But there they are. They're sleeping for those reasons. One preacher was describing, he said that he's in Chicago area, I believe. He says that when one of the days he was in one of these high-rise buildings and the elevator got stuck. He said the other people in the elevator are screaming and yelling and pounding on the door. And they're, they're you know, having a fit. He didn't know if they were all claustrophobic, all six of them. But he said it was amazing how people went into panic because they were stuck between floors. And so he looked and decided there's a very simple way of handling this. I should ask you if you know, just in case you get stuck in our elevator. Okay, okay. What do you, what do you pick up? What do you do? You grab the phone, and you pick up the phone, and you contact somebody. 
You, know, you don't have to scream and yell. You just pick it up, and then you're going to get somebody to respond. Ours doesn't have a phone, so don't panic, okay? It has a button that if you push, it calls the, the, the you know, it sends a signal to the police department. That's why we tell the kids, stop pushing that button, okay? Um, yeah, it's there. Don't tell your kids because some are going to test it, okay? Um, but there's a button. So in, in the middle of a trial, you know, grab the phone to the Lord and talk to the Lord. Now, Jesus was concerned about others, okay? Enough that he prays for them. In this text, in this passage, okay, he's, he's referring to Peter. I don't think the Matthew did it, but I know the others did. He's talking, to, the, the others quoted. Um, but he says, Peter, that you're going to betray me. In the parallel passages, what does he tell Peter he's doing? He adds to it. He says in the other passages, and let me see if we can find it. Um, Maybe I won't find it because it's earlier in the other text. The other text, he tells Peter this earlier. But he says, Peter, I am praying for you. Satan desires to sift you like wheat. I am praying for you that you would remain strong and recover. And so Jesus is praying. It's in the, pre it's in the other text, but it's before they get to Gethsemane in their account. And as well, even in Latin, remember, in the, we, we call Matthew 6 the Lord's Prayer. But in reality, it's our prayer. In John 17, that is the Lord's Prayer, the longest recorded prayer of Jesus. And he prays for those disciples there. And he says, not only do I pray for these, but I pray for others who will be added to my flock. Do you know who he's referring to in John 17? Us. Yeah, he's talking about us. Thank you. Um, and so he, he's praying for others. And what's amazing, okay, and there I, I give you the, the, the passage. I should have just flipped it. There it is. He says that your faith to Peter fails not. Here's what's amazing to me about it. Jesus is praying for others in the midst of what's his circumstance? What's he feeling? He's, yeah, what does he say? I am sorrowful unto death, but who's he focused on as well? Yeah, he's still praying for others. And think about this. When he's on the cross and he's hanging on the cross, does he pray for other people? Father, forgive them. That always amazes me. In the middle of his pain and his agony and his suffering, he is still concerned about others. The, the reason it's, it amazes me is none of you are like me. In the middle of my pain and agony, I'm not concerned about other people. Okay? I'm selfish. I'm concerned about my pain going away, my situation, and I kind of forget other people. So I know I'm the only one in the room that does that. Okay? Right? But Jesus is concerned about other people. Okay? And so he prays and he, and he says, you guys need to be praying as well. Pray that you enter not in temptation. Now, the disciples, what do we know about them? Were they asked to pray for somebody else? Yes. Who, who were they asked to pray for? Jesus. He says very clearly, watch and pray with me. Okay? That he says, and if you say, well, watch doesn't mean that. Well, if you compare the passages, some have pray, some have watch, and then he repeats it. So he's talking, he says, watch with me, pray with me. Could you not watch with me one hour? Couldn't you pray with me just one hour? Even when they're asked to do so, even when the other person is praying for them, even when they said, yeah, we want to do this, 
what's their problem? The spirit was willing, but the flesh is weak. Okay, so they have this problem that they don't pray. Jesus was intense in prayer. This is an easy one. How, how do you know he's intense? The droplets of blood. Anything else? He, he goes three times. That goes with what, Patty, you said minutes ago, the extended time of prayer. So we know that he's praying over and over again. He prayed for several hours. He sweats blood. He fell on his face. You and I don't think much about this, where it says he fell on his face. This is the only time in Scripture this, that Jesus is recorded to have done that. Okay? And when you think, okay, you think about how men prayed in Jewish culture back in those days, it was different than how we pray. Okay. Did they typically prostrate themselves when they prayed? Did they typically do that? You gotta, it's got a 50-50 chance here, folk. It's a yes or no. No. No, that was not the norm. Okay, so this is the only instance where Jesus prayed. Let's do a, let's do a step back into first century Jewish culture and how they did synagogue prayer, their public prayer. Okay, that's the most common posture. And even in the, you even read about it in the Gospels when he uses illustrations of people coming and praying. What was the typical posture of people when they prayed? Standing. Yeah, it was standing, okay? They typically stood. Okay, what do we typically do when we pray? What, what other things do we do physically? Okay. You all said some, uh, so much it just came at a... Okay, we usually sit or kneel, Okay. What do we do with our heads and eyes? We bow our heads and close our eyes. Where do we usually put with our hands? Okay, we do, we do this. This is very, very us. Was this prayer, was that typical in Jewish culture? Not this. What did they do? They did this. Okay, they would typically, their prayer, they usually didn't do the folding hands. They typically put their hands and they would do palms up. There was a reason for palms up. It was symbolic. I, I'm, I'm not holding anything, trying to hide anything open to you. Okay? So please, please don't react if somebody, you know, if somebody steps in and they raise their hands. Okay? That doesn't mean they're evil. Okay? Um, that doesn't mean that they're bad believers because they do this. Okay? Doesn't... Let me, heads bowed, eyes closed. Okay, Bible? Bible days? No, what would they do? Tom, you said no, what do you think? They would raise their hands. What do they do with their heads and eyes? They're doing this. This is the typical prayer time that, the, that they would do. Um, I could add to this, did the, men, did the men cover or uncover their heads? The men typically would cover them. So in our culture, the Jews prayed totally backwards from the way we pray. We say when you pray, what do you do with your hats? Take them out. What do you do with your heads and eyes? Bow and close your eyes. Okay, and what's the posture, the posture that, that typically is thrown out as being really reverential? Kneeling, okay, in a lot of churches. And so, that is, can, I, can I throw a thought to you? Okay? The Bible doesn't give us a biblically correct posture. And th this, this is challenging. Culture influences the way we pray a whole lot. Okay? Does culture dictate what's right? Yes. 
Mm, too much it does. Because some think just because I'm doing the posture, I got it right. So be careful, be cautious in how you react to some people in their posture. But Jesus fall, goes and he falls on his face, which in that culture, that was showing intensity. Okay, that he's on his knees. Uh, he's usually pictured as falling on his face and his hands folded, but we don't know all about that. The disciples, we know they're not intense. Okay, they may intend to, but we know they're not intense because they keep on doing what? They're falling asleep, okay? And again, I want to cast stones at them and say, bad disciples, bad disciples. And yet, I, wanna, I have to be hesitant because we, yeah. How many of us would spend three consistent hours praying the entire time without being distracted, without dozing off, and we're talking about 11 to 1 o'clock in the morning? Okay. Um, so, something else. He was submit- this, one's, this one's a tricky one, okay? And I want to make sure that we're all on the same page biblically because sometimes when we apply this thing, we, we do it differently. He says, oh, my Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. So, we all know he's submissive. <clears throat> That's not the, the question I have. We all know he's submissive. My question is, what exactly was he asking the Father to do? What was he saying to the Father? Some of us have talked about this and we've expressed it this way. He was asking God to spare him from all of his suffering. And so it's okay for us to say, God, I don't want to go through a trial, but if you want me to go through a trial, I will. Is there, is there, um, is it okay to pray, I don't want to go through a trial, spare me from it? But thy, okay, okay, there's nothing wrong with that. My question is, is that exactly what Jesus was praying? Was Jesus praying, I don't want to go through this, I don't want to get beat, I don't want to be nailed, I don't want to have people deny me, spare me. Was that exactly what he was praying? There, there is a, and he says in this passage, okay, he's saying let this, he's very specific, let this cup pass from me. What is the cup? that he's talking about. If we were, if we were to jump now, let's, let's do this. Let's jump into Old Testament thinking. There was a frequent reference to the cup of God's wrath. It comes up in more than th- in these passages. It comes up several times. And so there's a cup of wrath that's talked about. It, the book of Revelation talks about the cup of, cup of wrath being poured out as well. And so when you talk about the cup of wrath, you're basically, give me a one word that it would be associated with. The cup of wrath being poured out, it would, it would indicate what from God? Condemnation? Judgment? Okay, yeah. So let's, let's take the word judgment, okay? It's God's judgment for sin that's being poured out. Okay, so with that in mind, we read in Hebrews, we read that who in the days of his flesh, we're talking Jesus, when he had offered a prayer and supplication with strong crying and tears, when? When would that have been? Okay, we're talking Gethsemane, right? Okay, we're talking Gethsemane. Unto him that was able to save him from death, okay, could God have saved him from death? Yes, yeah. And by the way, if we want to add the word to just death, what death, we, what, what are we talking about? It's separation Okay, in his case, separation, not only from the body and the soul, but separation from the Father. Okay, remember spiritual death 
And to add to it, what other, there's the physical death, your body and soul separate. Spiritual death, we're separated from God. There's a third death in Scripture, eternal death. <clears throat> What's eternal death? <coughs> Separation from God forever. Okay, so we've got those three aspects of death. It doesn't, it doesn't clarify which one. But it says, he was say, praying to him that was able to save him from death, separation, physical, spiritual, eternal. And he was heard in that he feared and submitted, learned obedience. The word heard is the key word here. Okay? What, what, what might some people think it means? What's the most simplistic way that you might think it, it could mean? God heard his prayer. You know, it came before God. But the word that is used, okay, the word that is used is very clearly a positive response to it. Not just that God heard it here, but God said <coughs> yes and answered it. So what do you think Jesus is praying? God, spare me from physical suffering and pain. Did he go through it? So did God answer that prayer? If that's what he was praying, the answer is God didn't answer it. <clears throat> but Hebrew says God answered it. So what was he praying? Separation. The eternal separation. Yeah, the, the spiritual eternal sp separation. He was praying, don't leave me forever. Okay, now think this through, okay, which I understand that's what he's, pre he's praying. What does Jesus, now he's saying, don't, basically, don't leave me in, in separated from you, in Sheol, um, you know, in a, in a you know, um, separation like a hell relationship. Restore me. And by the way, did God restore him? Okay, in fact, when did it happen? We have indications of it. What, what, what does he pray dear, while he's on the cross that he's experiencing separation? My God, my God, why have you... Okay, then what's he pray at the very end? Father, <coughs> I'm sorry. Yeah, Father, into thy hands I come into my spirit. So we know that there was some reconciliation done then. He goes into the place of Sheol where the, the living dead and the saints are. Then what happens three days later? That confirms that God is restored. Resurrection 40 days later. Ascension. Okay. So if he's praying, don't leave me separated from you. Not just don't give me trials. Leave me separated from you. Think this through. While he's praying, nevertheless, thy will be done. Think of the, this isn't just like, okay, I'm willing to suffer pain. What was he saying he was willing to do? Be separated for how long? Forever. To save us. Doesn't that add tremendously to the idea of his sacrifice for us? Doesn't that show when he says, thy will be done, how great he loved you and me? that he was willing to suffer hell eternally for us. Tremendous. Trem it, it, to me, it's astounding. I can't, I can't wrap my brain around it totally. 
that he was willing to do that, to remain cursed forever from the Father. A- amazing thought. Anyway, the disciples, the will of God. How do we know that they struggled with the will of God? I think you've, somebody mentioned it already. Peter's response. What does Peter do? He draws the sword, cut off Malchus's ear, all in an attempt that he wants, to, he doesn't want this to happen. And remember weeks before, I already referred to it weeks before that he, he had to, he said, you never go to Jerusalem, get thee behind me, Satan. And despite everything that Jesus has prayed, and they have enough awareness what Jesus is praying in the garden, at least Matthew does, and Mark does. How do we know that? They record it. They record what was being said. So uh, we have that information. Here's one. <coughs> Jesus saw prayer as an essential during that moment, and I'm going to hasten up. Essential for himself, for others, that he's saying, you all need to do it, pray that you enter not into temptation. By the way, just, just to clarify, there are some people that say, Jesus is saying here, pray that you never get tempted. That's not what he's praying. Because they're already being tempted right at this moment. He's already told them that they're going to... He is saying that you don't... When he says enter not, it's not the... It's the idea of you don't participate in. Just to clarify. Okay. That is, so we know this. We know that the weapon that Jesus is advocating at this point to overcome temptation is prayer. We preached on that in the series on the spiritual... On the believer's armor just recently. The, under, the disciples, they don't understand how essential prayer is. They have to be told time and time again, and they still don't do it. Why not? Why not? Matthew 26, verse 41, gives us some insight why prayer was hard for them. What do you have? The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Okay, let's dissect that, that, that for a minute, okay? The spirit is willing, the flesh is weak. What is that that's a statement by Jesus? What does that tell us about us in prayer? Okay, uh, let me start with you. Okay. Does that ever happen? Does that ever happen? If you didn't hear what he said, sometimes we serve with our minds, but our bodies go contrary. Does that ever happen to anybody here? Yeah? Okay. Okay. Yes, sir. Okay. In Romans 7, Paul says, the things that I would, I don't do. The things that I don't want to do, I do. Okay. What else do you get out of this? Okay, it's going to be a struggle until what? Until we we get raptured, we get changed bodies. Okay. Anything else stands out for you? Yeah? Yeah, there's no Holy Spirit, so they don't have that assistance by the Spirit yet, which is going to help. So, just throwing things up, I think he's made an indication prayer is not always easy. Okay? I, I think he's made an indication that extended prayer isn't always easy. This is me. Maybe, maybe your experience is different. I can pray before meals and it's no problem. That, that, yeah, I can pray in a service here, no problem. It's, okay, an hour or two or three. Now I got a problem. And it's not my wife. It's not other people. It's my body. My mind wants to 
go everywhere else. Okay? Okay? So, especially a battle for extended prayer times. Does, here, think this through. Just, there's food for thought. Desire alone, I desire to pray. Alone is not the same to God as when we really pray. Sometimes we offer God desires and intentions, but we don't give him the reality. So desire alone, planning to pray is not the same as God, to God as you praying. Because the disciples are there. Jesus is God. They plan to pray. They desire to pray. They, they, they were willing to pray, but in his mind, was that sufficient? No. Can't you pray? Can't you actually do it? Prayer is one of God's weapons of choice for us to use in overcoming temptations that come our way. Pray that you enter not or don't give in to temptation. The idea is, got to pray. We got to pray. Not just talk about it. We have to actually do it, okay? Jesus receives heaven's help. Uh, uh, Why would I have said that? What, What do you know out of the notes? Actually, look at Luke, the passage in Luke. I think it's Luke, is it not? Um, uh, where is it? Oh, I'm looking at the wrong passage. 43? Thank you. I was looking down in the middle passage. Verse 43. There appeared unto him what? Okay, what does the angel come to do? Okay, the angel comes and ministers him to strengthen him at that moment. His trials aren't gone, but the Lord gives him, the Father gives, he answers his prayer and gives him the help. That's needed just to continue on through this struggle, that, this threat. Hey, there was a little boy, I was reading a story. A, a little boy, when back in this time when, you know, the five and dime stores, any of you ever remember them? Okay, five and dime store, and they had candy on the counter type thing. This little boy goes in, and he's with his mom, and the clerk there says, hey, help yourself to a you know, handful of candy out of the candy jar. And the little boy played real shy. And the mom says, you're not shy. Go ahead, take it. And he just stood there looking at the clerk, smiling. So finally the clerk reached in, grabbed the candy, and put it in, and the little boy's, you know, two, two hands now. And they walk out, and mom says, why didn't you go ahead and help yourself? And the little boy said, because I get much more when the clerk's big hands pull it out, okay, and put it in. Isn't that true with us, that sometimes we we're, we're just want to do it ourselves, and if God gives the blessings, the answer is so much better for us all the way around. The end up, we know that the end, the 11 end up weak and vulnerable. They desert Christ. Peter ends up uh, denying him, and, and it follows through. Here's the thought. Jesus took, just to add this, Jesus took advantage of the opportunity to pray, or the opportunity to pray, okay? And he makes this comment. After he's done praying, he says, arise, the time is at hand. You know, I'm not, I'm not trying to be silly about this, but life moves on. We, we, ha- we can't stay on the mountaintop in our booths. I got to correct myself. I have a tough time saying B-O-O-T-H-S, okay? Mine don't always come out like B-O-O-T-H-S. When I say that word, it comes out like B-O-O-Z-E, Okay? So I'm saying booths when I say booths, okay? I'm not saying stay on your mountaintop drunk, okay? Uh, so so there, remember, do you remember the setting? Remember Jesus is transfigured? Yes, no? Okay, what was Peter's response? Let us build three booths, okay? 
and let us stay there. And Jesus says, basically, we can't. What do you have to do? You've got to come down from the mountaintop and get on with life. Same thing in the Garden of Gethsemane. We can't just stay here and pretend the world will go away. We, we have to move on. The day breaks. The job has to be gotten to. The kids have to be attended to. We are going to have to pay bills. And so we have to realize, I've got to move on. Life moves on. Yes, no? Okay? So take advantage for praying before life moves on in that matter. That's why even like, Jeremy, you brought it up. Uh, why couldn't we cast out the, the, the demons? This thing only comes by prayer and fasting. When? before you encounter the demons. Okay, so take advantage of the opportunities. We all know about the disciples. Yeah, they fell flat on their face because they weren't flat on their face before the Lord. So you got the two, okay, and we ask the question, and we all say, maybe, maybe I'm assuming too much, we are more like the disciples than we are like Christ. We need to grow in this area. So we all say that. We all think that, okay? So let's, let's draw some conclusions that are very important. Prayer is God's path to victory in the Christian life. Amen, amen, amen. Okay, we know that. Even though we know it, and we're told it, and he repeats it three times to the disciples, what do a lot of us end up doing? Yeah, the flesh is weak. We don't pray. We don't pray. We too have been repeatedly urged to pray. Prayer is not easy, especially extended prayer. We understand that. We know that. We, we struggle with that. It's a difficult time. Okay? Yet, it is possible to be done, and when we pray, we too will get heaven's help. And it may not be an angel coming and strengthening you, but it could be in a, in a visible way. It could be done in multiple different ways. So here's the thought I want to, to challenge you. We ought not to remain lax in prayer, but change and grow and commit ourselves. Now, I relate more to how the disciples prayed in Gethsemane than Jesus. But here's where I get challenged and encouraged. Did the disciples change? Did they grow in this area? The answer is yes. Because when we go into the book of Acts, what do we find about the disciples? Okay, we get the Holy, they get the Holy Spirit, that, that assists. But even before they get the Holy Spirit, what are they doing in Acts 1 and 2? They're in the upper room gathered together for prayer. Yeah. So here you have them in Acts 1 in the upper room. Acts 2, they go down to the, the uh, that's where they see the lame man, remember, as they enter into the temple. They're going to the public prayer times, the gathering prayer times, that would be the religious gathering for prayer. They are threatened that if you keep on preaching, they all get together, and they've been threatened. The disciples have been told they're going to get beaten, and they get beaten in chapter 5. And they say, Yea, Lord, we rejoice that we have suffered for the name of Christ. They resort to prayer. Do you remember any other time in the book of Acts that they're given to prayer? Ron? They're, given to, they're praying? Okay. In fact, it says in that very text, it says, and they continue in the Apostles' Creed and in prayer. Yeah, 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 I forgot about that. The preachers did, that they, would, that they were going to be praying. Think of any other time in Acts. What's that? When Peter was arrested, what is the church body doing? Praying how long? 
all night long in Acts chapter 12 that they're praying. In Acts 13, they're supposed to set apart Barnabas and Saul, and they pray about it. And you hide time and time again, in Acts 16, what's Paul doing in prison? All night long. Okay, he's praying. He and Silas are there in prison. Prayer becomes an attitude, especially of those 11. They disseminate that. They, they encourage others to do likewise, and they get involved in prayer. They grew. They were able to grow in their prayer life, which gives me all the hope in the world. Can I grow in my prayer life? Yes. Can you? Absolutely. Any of us. Even as they were called the foolish and uneducated, that's us, you know, the unlearned, we can grow in our prayer life. And not only can we grow, we ought to, must grow in our prayer life. So, some lessons there. Let's get ready for our morning service. Can you believe this? Mark this down. Okay? We are done early.